Hello and good afternoon. Hey, Arrow, how you doing? Doing very well. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. I'm just trying to, I presume you can't see me at the moment, right? <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. We're radio people and you're a musician. So, you know, pictures are for those that want to see, I don't know, like, like the horizon. Okay, fine. Absolutely. <laughs> Dude, how have you been since the last time we talked? Because, I mean, your, your ideas of exploration have always inspired me. Oh, that's nice of you to say. Yeah. Well, I've been doing plenty of explorations, that's for sure. <laughs> in in the way of um, music or just in, in the way of, hey, here we are today. There's a lot to be found. Well, yeah, <clears throat> I guess I guess um, the, my most recent release is uh, partly to do with my uh, I wouldn't call it an obsession exactly, but high level of interest in this most recent uh, upsurge in the kind of UFO, UAP yes. world. So that's something that I've been interested in for a long, long time. Well, since the mid-90s, I think. And um, right now, it's, it's kind of um, got very, very interesting. Well, I'm from the state of Montana, so we have the big sky country out there. And, and of my entire life, I would go out there and I would just look up into the sky and I swear that I would see things and people go, oh, stop it. You need to grow up and act your age. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, similar for me. I mean, I don't live in big sky country, <laughs> but uh, but I've seen a few things over the years. And uh, the sort of, well, the first experience I had was probably in the 80s, actually, in the UK. <clears throat> and at the time, I didn't really make any kind of connections. It was just a sort of strange sort of light zipping around the sky. You know? um, but later on, when I started getting interested in the subject, uh, I started to sort of think back on that. Uh, what, what I saw because it's sort of when you see something strange it kind of etches itself into your mind it does and, uh, so I could recall it quite clearly and uh, I started to think oh I guess that is one of those um, you know it's a fairly distant encounter but nevertheless it was I, I could acknowledge that it was something very unusual but you know what's interesting about that Jack is that you were called to that moment to see it in that moment so therefore it's going to mm -hmm. change you what what do you bring forward from it that's what I love about seeing things in the sky Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it does really alter your perceptions of, uh, or your sort of estimation, really, of, uh, well, a lot of the current theories of human origins and, uh, you know, why we're here and all of those super big questions, you know. And uh, I don't think it gives you the answers particularly, but it certainly gives you a bigger perspective. Don't don't you see music as being part of that journey? Because, I mean, all of a sudden you're walking along. You could be at a mall or you could be at some sort of fast food restaurant, and all of a sudden this song hits you. Mm -hmm. It's a, very similar. I, I mean, I always think uh, – I have a friend, actually, who's a, a neuroscientist, I, I suppose you call him. He does research. He doesn't, like, do surgical stuff. But he's involved with people that do, working with uh, military guys who've, been, who've had brain injuries, sustained brain mm. injuries. And they do kind of map brain mapping work with them. You know? So he's a very kind of um, what shall I say uh, mainstream. He he holds very mainstream scientific viewpoints, you know, which is essentially that everything that's going on is going on in your mind. And um, and I and I really question that. And I always think of music as being the most yeah. obvious example of uh, well that when you're performing music and even when you're listening to it as well, you have a tremendous sense of collective experience. You're, you're kind of linked together in the moment with music, you know. And, uh, and I think it points to ideas which I sort of subscribe to really, you know, which are that we sort of live in a sea of consciousness, that the, the universe, for mm -hmm. want of a better word, is consciousness and that, that we're sort of linked to each other and linked to it, you know, through our, our perceptions 
you know, while we're alive sort of thing and possibly beyond that as well. Well, we talk about that connection, but with this AI world that we're stepping into, doesn't that take away the humanism of making that connection? Well, it does, you know, and uh, and I'm very kind of skeptical about the claims made for AI. I mean, I don't doubt that it's dangerous, uh, but not because it's going to replace human consciousness, but because it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or the reverse, really. You know, to me, AI and human consciousness are, are almost polar opposite things. You know, the human consciousness is about creativity and and seeing new new things. You know, and, and AI is about being. Um, well, it's not about creativity. I don't think uh, it possibly might be in the in the future, uh, but even that, I think, is a sort of facsimile of creativity. Well, it it scares me because they can take our sound and recreate it. I mean, somebody else could be singing dancehall days in the days ahead, and you're going to go, whoa, 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 wait, that's my song. What are you doing with it? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, that would be interesting to hear. You know, <laughs> I, I, I saw something online recently where they took. Um, there was a big uh, thing about it. They, they took a couple of Beatles, well, post-Beatles songs. So they took Paul McCartney's song, Junk, and had John Lennon singing it. Uh, and then they took a John song and had Paul singing it. I can't remember which one. You know, the thing was that people online were going like, oh, man, that's amazing to hear John singing Paul's song. You know, But it's like, when you listen to it, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't sound anything like John right. Lennon singing right. Paul's song. You know, it sounds a bit like John, you know. But and now... I get these things will get increasingly sophisticated and you'll be able to do stuff like that. But uh, that's very different from coming up with the next uh, the next song or even more importantly, coming up with the next kind of artistic mm -hmm. change in consciousness, you know, uh, because that's what, you know, the, the big songs have always done. I think, you know, like certainly the Beatles for me was a whole change in the way I looked at the world when I first heard them. I think, I think for everybody on the planet, actually, who came into contact with the Beatles, uh, it, it, it changed your consciousness, you know, and, uh, and I don't see AI making moves like that, you know, uh, having said that, I do get that the internet it is this is a huge change in consciousness, you know. But I think the problem is that it's human beings becoming more like machines mm -hmm. rather than machines becoming more like humans. You know, the drift is in the wrong direction. Mm, mm, mm. But yet, but yet, when when you guys first appeared on the music scene, I was that seven minutes. Uh, I mean, I, I think all the eighties bands who sort of rose to the the top at that time were, yeah, part of a an, another change in, in consciousness and it was very much related with uh, MTV you know uh, which was a strange thing for me because uh, I've always been a believer in the um, uh, for want of a better term for the theater of the mind yep, if you like yep, you know, so in yep. other words you put the headphones on and shut your eyes and listen to the music and you're you're away in in where your imagination takes you and when you have a video playing replacing that theater of the mind if you like uh, it, it's possibly take, takes away from that sort of internally creative process. But I don't want to be like biting the hand that feeds me, fed me, you know. <laughs> so then what was it like to go in there to do the reissues? Because, I mean, all of a sudden you're stepping back into that zone that you were once in that MTV helped bring forward. I mean, I, I'm such a perfectionist. I would love to go back there and just put in new harmonies, put in new instruments, some, you know, do, do some modern day technology. Yeah, there's a sort of temptation to do that but i do see the the old albums as you know part of their time and uh, for all their faults and limitations you know i i wouldn't want to tinker with them too much yeah. uh, i always remember reading about uh, you know how 
Jimi Hendrix before he died, uh, the next thing he wanted to do was to go back to uh, Are You Experienced and sort of re-recall those songs because he felt they hadn't been given a fair shot because Chaz Chandler was so much of a kind of one-take guy, you know. Yep. And I always think, oh, poor Jimmy, you know, he was really being devastated by the fact that everyone was going to go, oh, we prefer the, the old versions. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, so I, I think, you know, especially in pop music, uh, the, the recordings, I, I think, should be left intact, you know, and, and don't futz around with them too much. You know, get more depth and breadth out of them if you can, yeah. uh, but don't change it. Yeah, because a lot of listeners don't realize you're paying by the time and you're also playing by the tape. I mean, you 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 purchased that tape. I mean, and, and that's back in the days when it, it wasn't digital at all. We we weren't doing Pro uh, Tools. Absolutely. No, no, those I was um, reading some stuff uh, online about the Beatles in Abbey Road, you know, and we, we recorded points on the curve in Abbey Road Studio, too, where the Beatles did all this stuff, you know, and we were in there for like nine months, mm. easily, <laughs> you know, and that was expensive, you know, and I didn't consider it at the time. I just wanted to be there, you know, and if it took three days to record a hi-hat part, then that's what it did, you know. Um, yeah, it didn't occur to me until the 90s that I was still paying off that studio time with my royalties, you know, but, uh, but you know, I don't regret it at all. It was a, it was a great experience, and that kind of a connection with the past was really tangible through being at Abbey Road. You know, yeah. Speaking of making that connection, don't you think that fans are more loyal today? It's almost like we needed that two or three year lockdown in order to re-energize the purpose and plan of music in the way that oh my god, I totally respect the artist more today than I ever have in my life. Yeah, I, I think that may be right. It'd be lovely to think that that was the case. And, and I think certainly people did get, you know, music is music is one of the things that gets you through your life. I know it's a sort of truism to say that. And I know, you know, I, I've had a couple of people come up to me recently at airports and stuff and say, I just want to thank you for the yep. music. You know, it yep. really got, got me through some difficult times, you know. Um, so maybe you're right. Maybe people have become more sensitized to to the role that music plays in their lives. Well, I have to thank you because AM radio was dying here in the States and I needed music to keep us at least alive a little bit longer. And and your band's music really kept us going forward because people would tune into us and then hurry up and jump over to there to FM. Right, right. Uh, that's, that's cool, you know. And gr- great, you know, that, that people have this sense of, you know, needing music to... to to sort of make life almost meaningful in a way. <laughs> yeah. How important yeah. is it for the listener to understand the true story and the history of the song? Because I, I you know, I grew up in the days of Dick Clark and Casey Kasem. I, I, we don't have that today. I mean, I think it is important. Um, I mean, you, you can certainly listen to any kind of music just on, you know, like the, the surface hits you. I mean, that's the incredible thing about music, isn't it? You don't need to study it for five years and then you listen to it and start to get it you, you get it from the moment you're able to to take it in with your ears you know and um that surface level is is great but i think going deeper into the music is uh, is an important mm-hmm. thing you know the, the stories behind the songs certainly are, are fascinating but i think also the way the songs work as music you know i i think of music as a bit like if you can think of painting you know when you paint a a picture of say a, a landscape you know then then it sort of looks like the landscape and people are quite often sort of thinking like oh yeah that really looks like the landscape you know they're impressed with the similarity you know but photography does that much better 
Wow. And painting is really about something else. It's about the paint on the canvas. It's about the creativity and the way the artist sees it. Um, and music is similar, I think. You know, there's the, the impact of the music. There's the emotional impact. There's the, the emotional sense of what the song's about. But there's also a sort of abstract qualities for the music as well, the, the kind of sound, the, the balance of light and dark in the sound, the balance of the form of the song, you know, and all of those things have always interested me. Even when I was a kid, I, I was fascinated by the way songs were, if you like, constructed, as well as by the emotional impact. Comparing music to painting, I'm an artist, and and I, I basically was silenced during a big show in New Orleans because the they, they to me they picked out the wrong paintings, and I, I really wanted something else. What do you do in those situations when those above you are saying this is the song we need, and you're going that's not the one I wanted to be the first one? <laughs> well, you, you fight those battles all the time, you know? <laughs> and, and the sort of the front line of. You know, art and commerce is 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 a difficult one to negotiate, and it's nearly always commerce is go, going to the bottom line. You know, the, the lowest common denominator, and the, so so it's a sort of struggle in the sense when you're trying to kind of, as it were. You know, my assumption is always that people are going to be interested in the unusual and yeah. the unorthodox, and, and and the stuff that points to a more kind of a mysterious direction. Uh, but I get that there are a lot of people who don't. <laughs> not interested in that. I just want it to sort of hit them in the solar plexus and, and, and be straightforward. Do you like the mystery of it all? Because they say that's the only reason why Led Zeppelin was big is because it was such a mysterious band. I totally get that. Yeah, and mystery is certainly it. You know, and uh, and I, I, they're a very good example, I think, of a band who I think are still sort of misrepresented as a as a kind of, you know, the first heavy metal band, you know, and I don't see them like that at all. I see them as a, a sort of progressive rock yep. band, really, you know. Yep. But more importantly, they're one of those highly individual bands like Pink Floyd, um, Led Zepp, um, you know, Yes, possibly. Um, you know, they're, they, they're kind of just one-offs, really. You know, there's really nothing before them and nothing after them uh, that, 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 that makes any evolutionary sense, you know. You know, I found it very inspiring in a small little note that you left to and, and, and it was it was about you were ready to talk about William Friedkin. I mean, that to me oh. opened up my heart because I'm going, oh, my God, we get to hear a side of your journey rather than reading about it in some sort of magazine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, my my relationship with, with Billy was a, a very important part of my life, you know, and, and I feel very blessed to have known him yep. as a, a sweet gentle guy really i mean and i don't think there's many people in hollywood <laughs> who would you know see see him in that way and i'm really not sort of like trying to sort of look away from the other side of him because I, I never encountered him he was always never anything less than encouraging to me really supportive you know mm -hmm. and uh, I, I remember us doing a, a Wang Chung show you know when we'd come come back it was sometime it have been back in 2011 12 something like that and it was really almost playing in, in a sort of public park in LA to a lot of people on deck chairs and stuff god knows how the gig got <laughs> not put it you know but he did and I remember Bill came along with his family to that you know what I mean and very stood very patiently uh, to, to, to sort of come backstage and, and I think the people on the doing the security was like, you know, who are you sort of thing, you know? And uh, one of us had to go out and say, look, he's a close friend. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but he wasn't at all kind of perturbed by that. You know, he didn't have a kind of hissy fit or anything. No, it's just not him. He was just really wanting to just hang out and see how we were and chat. And, um, 
And I spent a, a, a lot of time with him over the years, you know, in the 90s when Wang Chung had stopped, when me and Nick had stopped working together. I, I still used to come to LA every year. And I quite often stay at his house, you know, and uh, we go to the LA Philharmonic together oh some, sometimes. When I remember going on a Sunday afternoon and uh, going to see um, going to see them play some classical stuff. And uh, and we talked movies a lot. And uh, yeah, we, we did all kinds of stuff, just hanging out together, going to restaurants and stuff. And um, he was always fascinating about movies and, and that whole experience that he had of coming from the days when Hollywood was run by the studios yep. and his early experiences of working with Alfred Hitchcock and stuff like that through to the, the modern era, you know, where it's far more fractured and in, independent. You know. How would you talk to your 18-year-old self? Because, I mean, I, I'm 61, so therefore, the, you know, people always ask me, okay, so when does the broadcasting thing stop? And I said, I'm not talking to that 14-year-old. No way. That kid's dream is still alive in my soul. I mean, do you do you face the same? Yeah, I, I'd say the dream is still alive for yeah, sure. You know, yeah. I'd be very, very fortunate, you know, that I've not had experiences that make me bitter or cynical about the business, you know, and uh, or maybe it's simply the mindset that I have, I, I see, try and see the, the, you know, the positive in everything, you know. And, um, but I, I do think, you know, I was in the music business, uh, particularly in the 80s, it was a good time to be in the music business. Yes. In the, there was a lot of money sloshing around in the business. And someone like me, who's not really a sort of, uh, you know, the, the perfect fit for the business, was still given the breaks and allowed to sort of ex explore the territory. Mm. And I always feel that I, I didn't have to make you know, I think some people who have extreme success have to make extreme sacrifices in order to to maintain it. Certainly, you know, and I always feel that I got a fairly easy ride, <laughs> you know, and didn't have to sacrifice too much, and still have a good relationship with my kids, and um, you know, can can still sort of go about my daily business, you know, without being sort of by people and stuff. You know, it's uh, so I, I got close enough to it to really experience it, but not to be overwhelmed by it. Right, right. Did you keep a defrag journal of some sort in the way that you broke things down? Because, I mean, when you, night after night after night, not every show is going to mm -hmm. be the best one ever, but yet you go back and, come on, as creative people, we like to we like to really go in there and examine what can we do better tonight that we didn't do last yeah. night. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I never kept a... A, a diary. I mean, I, I say that I did keep a diary f sporadically over the time, but um, when it comes to t writing my memoirs, I'm going to have to do a lot of remembering, no. <laughs> 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 going back to the, uh, the original roots. And I guess everything will get slightly hazy as a, as a result of trying to remember it, you know. But that is something I definitely want to do. I want to try and recapture some of the experience of, um, you know, a kid from a working class background in the UK, from a small town, you know, having the experiences I had and uh, and kind of the, yeah, the, the sort of unique set of conditions, you know, social and fraternal and everything that, that sort of went, went with that and achieved it. And, and the roles that the bands that came before me, how important they were to the, my conception of what I was going to do with my life and, uh, and, and what sort of almost what life was about really, you know. God, see, that's what I love about music is that coming from a working class background, I mean, that that to me is is you were putting your soul into the music itself. And, and a lot of listeners don't get that. What they get is they get to sing along with us, but they don't understand the journey. No, no, it's a long journey. You know, no. And uh, I guess I started it when I was about eight years old, you know, starting to learn guitar and 
you know, I was fortunate to have a dad who was a musician, and um, and he said to me, you know, you, if you're going to learn guitar, you've got to have proper lessons. Uh, <laughs> so I, I started sort of learning with this lady who seemed to me very old, but she was probably a lot younger than I am now. You know, and um, but she taught me how to play chords and how to read music, most importantly, and mm. um, but not in a kind of fashion where I had to sort of where it was all like classical with a capital C. Do you know what I mean, it was just like learning music, learning how to sort of work with it and uh, and then my dad had a, a, a dance band really a sort of throwback to the 50s uh, but by the time I was 12 13 he was asking me along to play bass bass guitar wow. in his band, you know? and I learned a lot from that experience you know trying to read the parts you know these songs that I quite often didn't know because <laughs> they were a bit before my time you know but also it made me really listen uh, to the other musicians and if I couldn't read it then I sort of had to listen and react very quickly to uh, to what the, the next chord change was do you know what I mean and um, so that was a, an amazing training you know uh, that learning to read the music uh, on the one hand and then really developing my ear on the other uh, I think those are two essential things that you need to do when you're as young as yep. possible really yeah did you ever rescue an instrument my first instrument was rescued from a flea market and and in my in my dining room right now is a piano from 1868 that I felt like I needed to rescue did you rescue That's any amazing. instruments <laughs> I mean I still have the guitar that I had sort of <sighs> learned on when I was a kid oh, so, so leaning up against the wall in the bedroom mm. so I'll see that every morning you know oh. um, but no I'm, I, I do have a very old grand piano that a dear friend of mine uh, sort of lent to me about 20 years ago and I've still got it you know so uh, I think that'll stay with me oh, but that's an old God. German piano from the 19th century yeah. <laughs> don't you love those moments <laughs> absolutely <laughs> where can people go to find out more about you Jack because I mean your, your story your, your music it's very much alive and it needs to be in our lives yeah, um, I'm on social media, you know, Jack Hughes Official on uh, Facebook and um, Instagram. I, I personally run those things myself. And there's also the Wang Chun socials as well. You know, um, uh, There is a, a jackhughes.com uh, website, but I rarely up update that these days, you know. Uh, but I guess, you know, go to Spotify and listen to the music, you know, listen to Wang Chung, listen to Jack Hughes, me working as, as an artist solo, and also Jack Hughes and the Quartet, which are, are my sort of more jazz-influenced oh, exploration. Oh, modern-day jazz just blows me away. I just I just think that what you guys are doing with jazz today is, it to me, it's in connection with what we're, how we're moving as a generation. Yeah, jazz is a very interesting area, I think, because it's, because it's so human, yes. <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, uh, as opposed to a lot of more electronically-oriented music, you know, not that I've got, you know, anything against that I mean, nick and i were in uh, we're in san diego right now and we were downtown last night just went to a restaurant and we were walking past a couple of bars all of which were playing that kind of four on the floor electronic music you know and like i said you know i can really remember a time not that long ago where hearing that kind of music was very unusual in, in the states everything was like played rock music human generated music you know and uh i sort of felt quite nostalgic for those times actually you know so uh um, yeah, uh, the, the, the jazz thing is, is very much about, you know, what I love about the, some of the jazz stuff I've done is the fact that it's, um, you know, I, I don't use electronic instruments on it at all, you know, other than there's a, a guy playing electronic keyboards and stuff, you know, but, um, uh, it, it's all about playing, you know, and, uh, and I did a, 
a piece uh, called the Canterbury Tales. I, I live in Canterbury, and uh, obviously I was sort of riffing on the Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and stuff. But, but the piece ends with a, a recreation of the sound of the bells ringing in Canterbury that sh- from the cathedral. Mm. And uh, and I always kind of think, yeah, rather than sampling that sound, which would be easy to do, you know, I, I try to recreate it using the piano and the double bass playing quite high and the guitar as well. <laughs> and, and it's sort of, it's, it's like really listening into that sound and all the harmonics on it, you know, and I think jazz encourages you to sort of try and work with instruments and, and produce that authentic kind of sound as opposed to relying on electronics to enhance things, you know. Oh my God! You being in San Diego—that means you just went through Tropical Storm Hillary. I mean, I mean, did, it, it, was, was there anything there that would inspire you to create music? Uh, not really. I, I, I found it quite funny, really. You know, I mean, I'm sure maybe there was some damage done. You know, but from where we were, it just seemed like a wet afternoon in England. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, from where I am, it was like the end of the world. I mean, we saw everything. Oh, it was yeah. evil. <laughs> That's how they portrayed it, you know. But. Uh, but I think um, as we experienced it, you know, I mean, it's sure it was raining pretty hard, but then, you know, that's dealable with, you know, so it's all okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you, sir. Thank you, Ara. I really enjoyed chatting with you. And I love that we talk about all kinds of different stuff. So, Absolutely. So thank you it, it shows your human side. And that's what I've always loved about you is the fact that you are just such a regular guy that just happened, happened to make music. Yes. Absolutely. I see it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you be brilliant today, okay? Thanks, Ara. It's lovely talking to you. See you next time.